0: Where that speaking to you in the UK I'm talking from the Australian and New Zealand context the Australasian context which is where you know which is possibly different I know there's some similarities and truthfully I see an intensivist you know it's evolved over my career clearly when I guess the first thing I'd like to say is that when you try to introduce yourself to the to a lay person uh it's a confusing term intensivist intensive care specialist intensive care physician what it is i usually just say i'm an icu doctor one of those doctors that works in the place where the sickest of the sick patients in the hospital come and they always assume it's the emergency department and they always assume that we're saving lives every minute uh and whilst obviously we do treat emergencies and we do save some lives i think anyone who's listening who knows anything about intensive care knows that we also see people who die And so for me, I I have watched the definition, I guess, evolve. When I was a younger doctor training, I saw that the intensivist was really the doctor who was leading the intensive care team in the intensive care unit. And when I say the doctor leading, it was really like the doctors were the leaders, that it was all about the medical care being delivered. The nurses and the other allied health professionals were supporting the doctors in in that work. I think it's evolved where I am particularly, to be more, we're just team members with those people. We're not really the boss of those people. We're just a member of the team. We're the ones writing the prescriptions and planning the the medical therapies, but with a, a team of people that are there supporting us a, in the same way, but we're, we're not the boss. And, and I think that that's been important for me to understand as I've grown in my career. I, I also think that an intensivist now has evolved to be outside the walls of the ICU. Definitely was not that way when I started. We only worked in the ICU. We did our ward rounds there. We saw the sickest patients. We would occasionally go to the emergency department to pick somebody up. But truthfully, we didn't do anything outside the ICU. Now, as most listeners would know, we're a specialty that that really looks after critically ill patients wherever they are whether that's in the hospital wards, whether that might be to visit the emergency, the emergency department still, or even to go into the operating theatre sometimes to help. I've been called in by, by colleagues to come and help in the operating theatre, not, not as an anaesthetist, as a, as a critical care doctor. And I think there are, I know there are intensivists that go out in ambulances and, and do pre-hospital care as well. So we've become much more than just locked in the walls of the ICU. Uh, so I think, think that's important that we understand that now. And so that really means that we've got a, a wide variety of skills and, and characteristics that we need to have to do all that work. And I guess the last thing I'll say to give a long answer in this is that I think that what I've noticed, and you mentioned that I've done a podcast talking to a lot of people, is that I think every single intensivist I've ever met or spoken to on my podcast or wherever brings something different to the way they approach work. Some people are you know, just fantastic clinicians that want to do the best work at the bedside, we all do that do clinical work, but some people will put a lot of effort into the academic side. Some will put it into the teaching. Some of them will put it into to administration of their department, or some of them might put it into all the new media that's developed, you know, like podcasting or even through social media. Some of them might go on committees around the hospital to, to help with blood transfusions, for example, or um, morbidity and mortality, whatever it is. There's so many aspects of intensive care work that we can do and I think everybody just brings something different to it and I value that therefore it's very hard to define it specifically. I think about the contracts I've signed in the various jobs I've done over my time and just about all of them say the same things you're meant to do the clinical job well you're meant to be involved in research and education you're meant to keep your own clinical professional development at hand and be aware of that you're supposed to be you know responsible and turn up on time and do all the learning you're meant to do, the modules of learning in your hospital and follow the procedures and policies of the hospital. And in none of that does it actually mention what we do do, which is try to be good humans at the bedside to people that are bloody sick, excuse the swear word, um, and some of whom will die. And that human touch has just been something that I've found as I've evolved in my career has become more and more important to me. And I think that's the thing... We probably misrepresent in our specialty if we, if, we, if we do anything. We talk about the things we do with drugs and devices and in which particular syndromes. And But I think sometimes we omit the fact that human people are looking after human people, and that's a massively important part of the job.
1: Most of the conversations that we have will be, will be focused around someone's loved one relative or the patient themselves is is sick and getting sicker and we don't think that they're going to survive it you know it's very rare that we get to sit down and actually deliver good news to people isn't it
0: again as i've evolved and grown in my career i found that searching for those opportunities has become easier and when i get called for example as as a consultant to a med call where things are sort of not quite right when when i go to one of those because they've needed to call me which is rare most of the times they don't call me but by the time i go there really the first thing i want to do is find out what the patient knows and cares and, and, and what they want uh, or, or what the family member at the bedside needs to know about what we're about to do, whether that might be to choose to bring them to ICU or choose not to bring them to ICU, which we're often doing. And so it's not about which drug to do, it, to give. It's not about uh, which device we're going to put on. It's usually about wanting to have those conversations. And I think they are so important. And the better we can get at those, I think the better we become in our, in our specialty. The Earlier in your career you tend to be a little bit more focused on the the medical care and drugs and things. Whereas I think as we get older, and this is generalizing because I still know many older clinicians that are still very focused on the, on the drugs and devices, but I also see very many younger uh, specialists or even trainees that are really good at the human side. So it's, it's very generalized, but I think as we do get older, we become more, interested in that perhaps it's just human evolution uh, or growth in our as a, as a as a single person or as an individual i'm not sure but i think yeah we do we do search for that more i certainly have and, and i think that's valuable to be aware of that
1: but do you think that especially when we're, when we're younger when we're going through uh you know our training there's so much focus on getting the assessments getting the exams getting, you know on on a lot of the, the medical and clinical theoretical knowledge acquisition that actually sometimes can almost feel like there's not enough room for learning that that human side of things because you are so focused on I need to give this drug and I need to give that drug
0: Also the whole medical system seems to be that it's desirable to be full of knowledge and know every disease and every syndrome and every medical intervention and every paper that was published on whether that invention is efficacious or not as well and therefore, we just turn away from the most important thing that patients would want from us, which is to actually care about them, what they really need in life right now at this moment. And that's not to say that, you know, like I said before, people are already thinking about that at the time. And I I certainly remember when I was a trainee, I used to love going into the family meetings when one of my consultants would be leading the conversation because I wanted to see what they said in there and what, body language they, they used and whether they cried or whether they just sat there and were very terse or, or patronizing. You know, I, I wanted to see it all to, to pick it up. So I was always interested in that. And I'm sure everybody is. But that's the only way you learned. There were no communication courses. I'm glad to hear that there's more of that happening now. I probably don't do it enough. Now I wish I would take my trainees into to more family meetings that that I run. But it's such a great learning opportunity to be in there in those, those intimate moments where it's really a soul talking to another soul. And it's vulnerability on both sides of the interaction that I think as humans, we, we value that. You know, when, when you go to the movies, it's all about the, the soulful narrative, isn't it? That what you can learn as a, as a human being. And I think that instance is happening for us in front of us all the time in ICU. And it nourishes me. I've got to say that's it's, it's hugely nourishing to be able to be involved in a lot of those conversations, whether it's with the patient, whether it's with the family members or whether it's even with the trainees. I found I just genuinely love now at the end of the ward round, go and have a coffee and we just have a chat about whatever. It's not necessarily the medicine. Uh, it's about what we do in our lives. It's about how we're feeling about things. I try to you know, stir them with a few questions to get them talking to me. Uh, and opening up. And, and I genuinely love that. It's the best part of my day. And I think that that's another human aspect that I think we undervalue in ICU. The fact that we as specialists can be bringing out that aspect in our trainees so that they don't just focus on the, the medications and the devices and, mm. the, and the syndromes. Because ICU is a younger specialty and because we all work together so much, it's uh, it's not like a surgeon who says, you know, I do the cutting and you just do the retracting and, and the medical student just stands and watches. It's not like that in see We're all got our hands dirty or we're all at the bedside talking about the patient doing the ward round. And so it allows us to be a little bit more casual and less formal in our interactions, which is great. I mean that's what it should be.
1: The fact that it's a shared skill mix rather than a necessary one that is kept to the most senior I think does an awful lot.
0: We find now most of the simpler procedures, like lines, are are being done by junior doctors. People like me now who have been an intensivist for nearly 30 years, I I hardly do those procedures. I'm only called to do them when nobody else can get it in. And I'm lucky enough to sometimes still be able to get it. But, you know, I, I don't do terribly many intubations these days. That can be worrying on the other side. The surgeon's still doing all the work right till the end of their career they're still getting their hands dirty and uh doing the actual cutting and and, and improving their skills with time and i think we get terribly good at it during our training i can i can remember how without sounding egotistical i can remember how good i felt at doing procedures at the end of my training just before i became a consultant you know i was still a senior registrar and i would do everything and i loved it that i was the guy that if you need someone to come and do a procedure i can do it quickly and I can do it effectively and 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 that's gone it diminishes over time and so we, we've got a different aspect on particular procedures but there's another thing that's worth saying while we're, talk, we're having conversation about this is that we do overemphasize those things as being the procedures of our specialty but there are many other procedures that we do that are more human and they include communication with colleagues and family they include running a ward round running a ward round is perhaps our biggest skill I think also the procedure of being a mentor. For example, is still a, another another important one that's that's a, a human aspect too. So, I think we you know whilst we do care about the technical procedures, there are a lot of other human procedures as well.
1: I think you're really right there. You know, the junior doctors who come through intensive care, they come through intensive care and they're desperate to learn how to put lines in. It's always the practical procedures where that, that people focus on. But even even doing a daily review of a patient and doing it well is a is a particular skill. And I think sometimes it's the same with the with the reward round as well. You know, I'm at a point where I'm I'm trying to hone my board craft, as it were. And but it's only since doing that that it's made me feel more like you're stepping into what I feel is the role of the intensivist, you know, rather than just, just doing the, the practical procedures in the daytime.
0: When I was younger, I was doing the same thing, trying to seek out the skills and characteristics of what a good round ward round was. And I took a little bit from all the various consultants I worked with. I've taken a little bit from some of the colleagues I've worked with over the years too, because no one does teach it as a, as a specific skill or procedure. As I said before, no one sees it as that yet. It really is the most powerful thing we do. Uh, One of the reasons I started the podcast that I do was that I wanted to talk to people to hear how they do their ward rounds and what they do. I thought it would be an easier way than actually going and, hanging out with them all day you know which is hard to do it's hard to go and visit someone else's ICU particularly on the other side of the world and hear how they do it so I asked lots of questions on that about their ward round because it fascinates me it's like surgery for surgeons our ward round is our key technical procedure it's the most important thing to delivering a good outcome to the patients it might not seem that way you know I think sometimes some of our junior staff and some of some intensivists and some nurses see the ward round as just some banal thing that you have to do But I I think it's just so valuable to the overall outcome of that patient if it's done well. And as well as that, it helps teach people. It helps our trainees understand what's really good. And I think we keep working on that ourselves as we develop. I reckon one of the best things that's ever been said to me in my career is when a trainee that I've trained meets me 15 years later at a conference. And a few of them, it's only happened three or four times in my career, but they've said, Andrew, your wardrobe was the best wardrobe that I ever uh, ever witnessed. And I've modeled myself on you. And I think that's like gold to a training intensivist that, you know, you've been seen as that. I'm sure there are plenty that didn't like the way I did it, but even if a few have found Mm. it valuable, then I think I've played my part in helping somebody. But the other thing is we have a lot of, institutional constraints by that particular institution Mm. you work in. Sometimes there are ways they've done it for years that are really hard to change. I can see bits about the ward round process in my hospital right now that I I don't think are are effective. And I see other things that are are super effective and I wouldn't have brought them myself. But trying to change that's hard because if I do it only my way, then on the next day when my colleague comes in and tries to do it back the regular way, it's going to make it harder for the other colleagues that you're working with. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about trying to look good as a ward round doer. It's about helping the patients in the best way you can. That's what we're there for
1: yeah. and
0: making sure that they move transition towards where they're, they're heading, whether that's back out of the ICU or, or sadly sometimes to, to death. I think the more we talk about this, whether it's through colleges or faculties or, or even podcasts, I think the better we be aware that no one's perfect in the way they run their ward round and that, and that we can always be improving. And that to be locked in status quo is probably going to be an inefficient and ineffective thing for your hospital. I'm really worried about duration. I spend a lot of time worrying about duration of ward rounds. When I first started, um, my ward rounds were kind of medium length compared to my colleagues. There was a couple of colleagues that were would always take an hour or two more than me. And there were a couple that were way quicker. And I always used to look at them and why is that one slow? And why is that one fast? And why am I in the middle? Am I doing it effectively? And, and so now I notice when... Like I said before, when you're sort of getting tired, you tend to do a longer word round, probably because you're just mentally inefficient. That's probably half of it. And I noticed that that can be detrimental to the way we interact as a team, but also potentially to, to the patient. So I do spend a lot of time thinking about this. And ideally, I think there is a sort of chunk of time you can do this hard, deep work, if you like to call it, and then you have to stop and go and have the coffee and come back and do the rest of it.